Ladies and gentlemen, the Football Scoop Podcast Rivalry Week recap is here. It was everything we hoped it would be. It was fantastic. There were upsets. There was mayhem. There was a destruction in the horseshoe. Holy smokes, Michigan brought the second half game. My goodness. I'm Scott Roussel. got Zach Barnett, John Bryce, college football experts. These guys are the best in the business. That's why I invite them on each and every week. Gentlemen, I say we jump straight into the games. Let's do it. Agreed. I'll start, I'll start at the top, which I was going to say was Georgia, but I'm going to start with Michigan. Michigan brought it in the second half. That was fantastic. I thought it was incredibly fun to watch. Any thoughts, you guys? Yeah, I think if you if you subscribe to the notion that going into this weekend, Ohio State was the number two team in the country and, and had clearly staked itself to that spot behind Georgia, then I think this Michigan win carries the type of weight that Georgia's dominance over Tennessee did earlier this month. I think they're very comparable performances, uh, particularly in the second half in terms of how much Michigan just completely suffocated Ohio State. And, and once again, big boyed Ohio State after we were told for a year that the Buckeyes would not let that happen again after Ohio State went out um, and snagged Jim Knowles for uh, about $1.8, $1.9 million. And Michigan absolutely big boyed the Buckeyes. Yeah, I think if you're a Michigan fan, this is your most satisfying win since uh... – since 1997, when you uh, beat Washington State in that Rose Bowl to clinch a national title, even above uh, last year's Ohio State win, because you could you could look back at that and be like, all right, we had the right team at the right time against a, a young, soft Ohio State team. Yeah, but going into this one, now it proves that you have a formula, you have a mental edge on Ohio State that I don't. I mean, I, I don't know that Ohio how Ohio State, you know fixes that other than going out and winning the game by Ohio state's own admission. They spent 364 days preparing for this game. And when winning time arrived, Michigan was the big boys. They, they were the mental bullies. They were the physical bullies. They pushed Ohio state around, you know, Ohio state made changes last year to bring in Jim Knowles and they worked until they didn't. And it was 28 to three in the second half. And now Jim Harbaugh's team has the mental edge on Ryan day's team. And he's going to spend the next, 364 days trying to to uh, to get it back, but once that once we get into the second half of next year's game, Michigan's be thinking, all right, we're tougher than these guys, we're meaner than these guys, we're stronger than these guys, and it's going to be a long year for for Ryan Day in Ohio State. And we'll have plenty of time to rehash it, and this is going to be a quick pod, but I would just uh, add this supplemental note. That time is going to elapse, Zach. You make a great point there. And this Ohio State program is going to look so vastly different a year from now because of how much they're going to lose on both sides of the football, but particularly on the offensive side of the football. They're obviously going to lose C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, who really wasn't a factor this season. Uh, But they're going to lose both of those great offensive linemen, the tackles, Dewan Jones and Paris Johnson. This is going to be – really, in a lot of ways, a completely rebooted Ohio State team a year from now. They might lose some of their coaches. Yeah, exactly. Very well might lose some of their coaches. Okay, uh, I, th- I feel like we're in a courtroom. We should just stipulate Georgia, beat Georgia Tech, and move on. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I want to talk to USC. So that was the first time I really watched most of a USC game because, thank goodness, it was on actually you know real TV you could see. Um USC looks fantastic. Caleb Williams is, I mean, looks like the best player in the country. He's a, he's, he looks like a bigger, not quite as, as fast, but a bigger Kyler Murray. 
and I'm not the first person to point that out, but he is just in, he might be the most difficult player in college football to tackle just because he has, he has eight eyes in his head and he can see where any sort of pressure is going. He knows that offense so well, and it's such a lethal offense. John, I mean, I was watching that game last night, thinking back to what you said just about a year ago that you said if USC makes the right hire, they're going to be a college football playoff contender immediately. And I thought you were crazy, and you are now the most sane man on planet Earth. <laughs> I appreciate that. To, to your points on, on Caleb Williams, I, I, I like the Kyler Murray comp as well. Um, his pocket presence reminds me of Bryce Young, even though he isn't as seasoned as Bryce Young. And, and the comp that I think I made to someone yesterday, he reminds me an awful lot of Trevor Lawrence. He has great escapability and he has truly elite arm talent and sees the field very, very well. Um, um, Caleb Williams, I think, had his Heisman moments Throughout the game against Notre Dame, I would expect with Stroud falling by the wayside with Hendon Hooker being injured and Tennessee losing a couple of times in November, I think Caleb Williams is going to run and throw away with the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, and looking forward, uh, USC has been extremely fortunate in regards to turnover. The bounce of the ball has been very friendly to them this season in a way that is not uh, duplicable moving forward, you know, looking forward to next season. But in terms of talent, this should be Lincoln Riley's worst team. Like, he should own – the West Coast and all the players going out there. So talent-wise, they should only go up from here. Yeah, absolutely. And 19, 19 portal kids already on that roster, if I'm not mistaken, 30-plus newcomers on that roster. Um, so, yes, to your point, this should be the beginning of sustained ascension for USC. A lot of uh, – it's easy to recruit L.A. when you're like, hey, we're going to go play Iowa and, and Wisconsin – it's going to be life-changing travel for you guys. You're going to love it. What <laughs> a dumbass move this is, but whatever. Money. All right, moving on. Uh, TCU. Holy smokes. Sonny Dice got him ready right out the shoot. Let's go. I mean, that's a team that 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 can taste uh, the, the opportunity ahead of them. I mean, I'll, I'll, Iowa State is – I'm not going to say they're 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 four and eight for a reason, but I, I ran the numbers. The the other seven Big Twelve games they lost were a, by a combined like 38 points. Like they're not far away from being a, a solid eight win team, and TCU took them to the absolute woodshed. And because of that, I think they're in the playoff regardless of what happens in Arlington yes. next Saturday. Like they're Absolutely. one of the top four teams in the country, probably one of the top three, and so well deserved, well deserved. Yeah, I, th I think three teams now ha have made the case that they're in the playoffs regardless of championship Saturday, and that is Georgia, Michigan, and TCU. And, and the way that they closed out their respective regular season yesterday, all of them winning um, handily, I think, by 23 points or more, obviously TCU by around 48, 49 points, just a completely dominating performance. You feel for a guy like Matt Campbell to have this sort of step-back season at Iowa State for all the good that he's done. And to your note, uh, Zach, they easily could be a 7-5 and five or 8-4 and four team. It hasn't been that way. They've had to break in too many new pieces. And now you wonder. To me, I, I see this as a true pivot point for the Iowa State football program moving forward. So there's so many more games I'm going to jump to. But I, one of the real feel-good stories I felt like was South Carolina over Clemson. Uh, golly, I don't know if you guys get to see the ends of the games after the game, but every time Shane Beamer wins, his kids are just right there, and he gets so choked up. Uh, it's really it's, – it's it's beautiful to see. You're excited for those guys. You hope they can build upon it, right? Because what it, where is South Carolina? It's like eight wins now, mm -hmm. uh, which is great. It's it, it's absolutely great. But you hope 
to get 10, 11, 12 wins in the next few years. So hopefully they can build upon this. Uh, Clemson, geez, whew, what is Clemson now? And, and and he didn't play perfect yesterday. We commented on it in our uh, office Slack or what or whatever about his performance. But this is two quality winning performances in a row for Spencer Rattler. Obviously, a week ago against Tennessee, he was the national quarterback of the week with the way he played. He had some boneheaded plays yesterday against Clemson, but he did enough to bring uh, the Gamecocks back and, and help them win that game. Uh, you got to feel like he needs another year of seasoning at the collegiate level and with South Carolina. And yeah, the Gamecocks have two wins in eight days over teams ranked in the top eight at that point in time. I'm not sure uh, without studying the schedule again, that you can find anybody else in college football that's done that. Clemson is is so stagnant. Uh, I mean, Dabo bet big on himself and his program and it's just, it, I don't know that he sees it, but it, it it's not what his program needed. It's not what his program needs moving forward. So it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see uh, what what he does moving forward because Clemson's not a team that scares anybody anymore. Agreed. Yeah, it, yeah. This is a huge offseason for Dabo coming. Yeah, up. And, and to that point as, as well, Zach. In in addition to losing both coordinators last year, Clemson has not recruited quite the same. In recent years, they they obviously had a dip in losing Venables and Elliott in this past recruiting class. Before that, I think they'd missed uh, Jeff Scott a little bit. You have to wonder uh, if Jeff Scott won't be back at Clemson in some capacity moving forward now that he's uh, been parted ways with USF. But I would look for that to happen. And I think that needs to happen for Clemson's sake. All right. So I'm torn here because I want to talk about another incredible game, but I feel like I'm skipping over a couple of higher games. All right. We're just going to do it. Oregon was handling Oregon State. They sure were. They look great. It's going to be fine. We're up like three touchdowns. Mid-third quarter. What could go wrong? <laughs> Beavers. Great Come scene. On. Great scene. I love the oddity of Oregon State coming back from 21 down deep into the second half and not throwing a pass. Like they, <laughs> they, All their touchdown drives were still like two minutes. They broke a long run, and Oregon certainly gave them a whole lot of help. Uh, you know, but that was, that was a great scene and not a, a type of game that you see very, very often. And th- I mean, research stadium was going nuts and it was only half full, uh, fantastic scene at, at Oregon state. Great to see Jonathan Smith. Like I wrote, this is his 66th, 66th game at Oregon state and his first time in the spotlight, like well done, well earned beavers. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of firsts in that contest, Zach, I think the first time that both teams had been ranked in together in the CFP era. Obviously, that's just eight years, but one of the uh, more higher-ranked meetings in in the uh, rivalry formerly known as the Civil War. And, and to your point about Reeser Stadium, only half full because it could only be half full. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Only half full because of the construction going on, which you guys know I've referenced on the podcast. I thought that would be an edge to Oregon State just because it was going to be that much louder, that much more condensed. And I do think Oregon State – fed off of a great crowd and on a uh, uniform dork note, I will say I absolutely love both teams wearing their uh, school color uniforms. I think that's great. I think that's great television. That's great for the sport. And that's a big time, big time win for Jonathan, Jonathan Smith and Oregon state. What Lincoln has done at USC this season obviously cannot be ignored, but he's done it with better resources and more resources than Jonathan Smith. For me, Jonathan Smith after yesterday would be my PAC 12 coach of the year. Yeah, Zach's would be that uniform drum for, for many years. Uh, it was nice to see you. 
Uh, I'll tell you, watching the second half or really the fourth quarter of Oregon State reminded me of watching Michigan. You knew they were going to run the ball. You knew where they were going to run the ball. And no matter what, Ohio State could not stop it. Oregon could not stop it. I'll also throw in there distractions, right, with coaching changes. We saw it yesterday, right? The Liberty. Oh, gosh. Uh, Kenny Dillingham. You know, he was on on first plane out. And uh, it's, a, it's unfortunate that it affects the product on the field the way that it does. But I don't know what anybody can do about it. All right, let's transition back to the SEC because we're contractually obligated to do so. Uh, all right, uh, Iron Bowl, Alabama did everything they needed to do. It didn't look amazing, but but handled the game. Uh, Cadillac, you know, performed well in his role. Uh, Auburn, is he I mean, going to get done or not? I mean, so. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's no sense uh, as we sit here and talk at noon on Sunday – that things are dead with with Hugh Freeze in Auburn. I still think that there's uh, some progress being made there, um, but it, but it's weird. Obviously, it, it's weird because I was point blank told um, going into Thanksgiving and maybe even Thanksgiving Day that Auburn's plan was to have a deal done on Saturday night. So it is a little bit bizarre that there were 24 or 12 to 24 hours here later, and it isn't quite done. Um, but yeah, so we're we're recording this at 12:20 Eastern Sunday. Uh, I can tell you, as of 25 minutes ago, uh, they're still in, in discussions. Uh, so they're still trying to work, see if it, if the deal can work through. So Auburn is hoping to have that deal done, but you know they just they they're they're finishing some diligence. Yeah, exactly, and and that's and that's been the case, and um, you know that that's the path back for Hugh, and and he's got to wait. He's waited a really long time. For a major opportunity like this, he's having to wait a little bit longer while uh, every T is crossed and every I dotted and, and everyone at Auburn, everyone at Auburn has to feel comfortable with this hire. And I think that's the delay at this point in time. All right. So uh, LSU was just going to go to Kyle Field and just take care of business and then play Georgia and maybe shock Georgia. Oh, buddy. They might have been looking ahead because they looked horrible on the field they, last night. They, they looked terrible. Um, they got – disjointed early in the game and, and let Texas A&M run out ahead of them. I think that a lot of people at Kyle Field had been listening to to uh, Zach denigrate the environment because it looked like a pretty decent environment last night. And certainly I think it uh, impacted the Bayou Bengals. Yeah, and, it, and that's a big uh, circle the wagons game for A&M because they're, they're still going to be the butt of jokes. And I, I guess a little bit concerning was uh, – Post game, Jimbo's talking about how uh, you know we don't re- really need to make any changes, and what we're doing here works. And if you're an Aggie fan, you're like, yeah, maybe maybe we should have lost that game. But to remind themselves of, of the the potential of that place was good coming off that UMass debacle. Like that, that was obviously that was a good night for AM. Tennessee scored 509 points last night. Someone Vanderbilt. tried to I, I tried to talk you out of taking Vanderbilt. Can you imagine having picked Vanderbilt to win that game? It could was, not be me. Could not be me. It was a moment. It was a moment that I, I don't – it will never happen again. We've discussed that. Well, <laughs> never, ever. It was something. happening again. Uh, what else we got? Uh, all right, I didn't get to see Washington Washington State. Washington throttled them in the second half. I didn't get to see any of it. Any, any feedback on that one? Yeah, uh, Michael Penix, holy smokes, what a game he had. And, again, one of those quarterbacks we've talked about this year – with a career rejuvenation. And and the entire first half was the Michael Penix versus Cam Ward show, the, the quarterbacks for Washington and Washington State, respectively. And Wazoo did not dominate the, the second half 
entirely, uh, it basically dominated the fourth quarter because this was a 35-33 game with Cam Ward trying to run in a two-point conversion to tie it at 35. He ran into the left corner of the end zone, had the pylon in his left arm, did not get the two-point conversion, even though his feet went inside the pylon because the ball was outside of the pylon. And then Washington State couldn't capitalize after that. Washington scores a couple of touchdowns, and um, yours truly padded his lead in the picks in the process. So a weird note here is that obviously the Pac-12 banned divisions, and a lot of people, myself included, have been saying get rid of divisions. But if, if the Pac-12 had a north-south alignment, we'd have USC versus Washington on Friday in Vegas. That instead we're getting a rematch of USC Utah. And I don't know if that helps or hurts USC, but that's just it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right, quick thoughts. <clears throat> K-State played really well against Kansas. K-State looks like they're, they're going to present a good fight. Yes, they are. And, I mean, they were obviously had a big lead in Fort Worth uh, in the regular season, and the injury bug hit them. So they can go in there and win with either quarterback, and they're they're going to give it their best shot, absolutely. A uh, couple quick games. Uh, Kentucky did a good job. Did a, mm-hmm. did a, I mean, it was a strong finish. That was, you know, state bragging rights. I agree with uh, Bryce. Like, why? It was, I think it was you, John, wasn't it? He said this should be called the Bourbon Bowler. Yeah. Agreed. Something like that. Really disappointing uh, for Louisville. So you had an opportunity to go eight and four, Kentucky six and six, and really take back right bragging rights in the Bourbon Bowl. And instead, you're both teams finished seven and five, and Kentucky has bragging rights. And I, and I didn't see what happened. Um, he didn't start the game. Malik Cunningham played, but, but he, was not much of a factor in the entire first quarter of that game. And that's when uh, Kentucky built a 13, nothing lead. Uh, and then Louisville cut it to 13 to seven Malik Cunningham tied Lamar Jackson's school rushing touchdown record or school touchdown record. But it was a weird deal with the way that Louisville did not open with Malik Cunningham. And, uh, and by the time that Cunningham came in, Kentucky had already asserted itself physically. Yeah, I saw it on and off also. So they brought him in short, and then he didn't come back, I don't think. Uh, so, I mean, clearly not not right. Uh, a couple couple quick, couple quick things. South Florida almost shocked UCF. And not UCF. That would have been a shocked with a capital S. I mean, to be 1-10 and ten and then potentially knock UCF out. I mean, well, that would have been the sweetest USF win in a long <laughs> Especially considering this is probably the last time they're going to play for at least a long time and unfortunately couldn't get done. And not just um, the nature of it almost happening, but the fact that USF was down, I believe, 28 to nothing in this game and came back and took a lead. Yeah. All right, real quick, real quick thoughts. Uh, Neil Brown came back and played – they played very well and they got a win uh, at Oklahoma State. Will it be enough? We'll see. We'll see. We don't know. None of a finish for Oklahoma State. Yeah. James Madison, strong finish. South Alabama, strong finish. Ten wins. My man. Great. James Madison, and hopefully I'll find time to to write about this today. If not today, then by tomorrow. James Madison deserves a bowl game. They're in that transitional stage where the NCAA says that they're not allowed to go to a bowl game. You cannot produce the type of season that James Madison just produced and be left out of the postseason picture, especially when there's 97 bowls now. Put James Madison in a bowl. Zach, I see you agreeing with me. Bring it home with the Hallelujah Choir. Yeah, the NCAA is in the process of being rewriting, scrapping its entire rule book, control-alt-delete on all of its rule book, but the rules in terms of reclassifying and postseason are somehow those are ironclad, and we can't change those. 
All right, a couple things that I absolutely was wrong on. Um, I thought Syracuse was going to lose their final six games. I was wrong. They did win this final one. Good for them. I thought Miami was going to have an offense. They didn't. I was wrong on that as well. Uh, I'm looking at the schedule real fast. I know we got a lot to jump to. I actually thought Memphis was going to come back and win that game. They did not. That was a really rough final play. Anyway, uh, tip of the cap to David Shaw. David Shaw has been a friend of the program, uh, a friend of our company, for just a, a friend of football. And and he's just an awesome human, great dude. Uh, decided it's time to, to step back and do something else in life. And I applaud him for doing that. He's been great for Stanford University for all those young men. and uh, Great for college football. Missed. Great yeah. for college football. I, I, I remember best. when I was early into this job, uh, 25, 26 years old, listening to him speak at the AFCA convention. And he got up there and talked for an hour. And I was writing down stuff just so I could learn and better my own life. And I, a lot of what I do parenting-wise, I learned from that talk at, at by David Shaw. His authenticity um, is is off the charts. It's needed more widespread in college football. He's been a great ambassador. Um, turning to the program and on the field, you have to wonder how long it's going to take Stanford to claw out of this after back-to-back three and nine seasons um, because of the health stipulations, especially in that region due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Stanford really got left behind. Um, and so this is not a quick fix. This is the exact opposite of what we talked about with USC. I think that Stanford is going to need three to four years to try to be back to viability. Well, so you have the academics, right? So the transfer portal is not necessarily an easy thing for them. Um, uh, boy, but I, I think in this day and age, John, I think you can get back a lot faster than you think. Um, but, I, I think you're going to be okay. But but can Stanford? I don't think Stanford allows mid year. Don't they? No, they don't take. They, they take like no transfers. They're yeah, Stanford. I think we oh. saw the, the the university takes like four transfers a year. <laughs> the university. Yeah, I, I just think it's a long. It's. I just think it's a long path back. Ah, we'll, we'll I, I'm with John on this one. I, I got yeah, one last yeah. one last hats off. How about Troy? is going to host the conference championship. Ten wins with John Sarmall. Just outstanding work by that young man. Great job, buddy. Uh, any final thoughts before we roll back into coaching changes? Um, FCS playoffs yesterday, some incredible, incredible games. We're going to get a Montana State-Weber State rematch, I believe, next weekend. Of course, that's the game that Zach wrote about that uh, Montana State won, I believe, 43-38 to 38 after Weber State had four safeties in that game. Five safeties, yeah. yeah. And then also, I think, in that same contest, in addition to those four safeties, I think Weber State had two special teams touchdowns, two non-offensive touchdowns. So really excited already for that contest next week. I've got a special feature coming up this week on Football Scoop about the Montana State offensive coordinator. Uh, hats off to Furman, a dominant win yesterday against Elon. And then Montana – a game I actually stayed up watching a little more closely than Washington-Washington State last night. The Grizz were down at home 24-3 to SEMO. 24-3 with less than 24 minutes to go in the game. They end up winning the contest by 10 points, pulling away for a 34-24 to victory for the Grizz. Their, their inclusion in the playoffs was a little bit controversial. Uh, they stamped that they belonged last night. Great yeah. stuff, gentlemen. Yeah, I'll close with my weekly North Texas shout out. They they very nearly blew it uh, against Rice. If they lost that, they would have missed the Conference USA Championship, ended six and six. But 
they they pulled through and got a win in, in in the rain and ugly day, but they got the win and they'll be back in in the Alamo Dome on playing for a conference title on Friday night. Rest of the day, we're talking we're talking coaching changes. We'll probably do a podcast on that at some point either today, tomorrow, the next day. We got uh, we got tough day today where a lot of staffs are. Uh, there's going to be change at a lot of places. Uh, we'll have you keep you informed on the scoop about that all day long on Twitter. I'm football scoop. He's at John D Bryce one. He's Zach Barnett. Zach underscore Barnett. Give us a follow. Coach Sam's out there somewhere. Just being a stud. Y'all have a great day.